Welcome to Conversations with Anne Elizabeth, the podcast inspired by my book, I'm a Registered Dietitian, Now What?, where I have the absolute joy to sit back, relax, and have a conversation about nutrition with a variety of people who share their personal story of passion and purpose, especially registered dietitians. Today's conversation is with Jennifer McGurk, a registered dietitian and entrepreneur who has a passion for supporting and educating other registered dietitians on business and intuitive eating. Jennifer and I connected over a passion for podcast. I noticed just recently she released her podcast called Pursuing Private Practice, and I was so happy to see another dietitian in this awesome podcast space. Jennifer is doing great things for the dietetics profession by teaching dietitians how to run a business based on her own experiences, challenges, and successes. She is also a certified eating disorders registered dietitian who specializes in the intuitive eating approach and is focusing on working with dietitians who want to use this in their own private practice. Please enjoy my conversation with Jennifer. going on, which I think is amazing. I don't know how you juggle it all, so I can't wait to hear more about that. <laughs> okay, sounds good. <laughs> but I think it's I think it's great what services and what you're providing to the dietetics field, I think is amazing and it needs to be there. And just how you, you know, all your different legs work together, which I think is great. And I love that you oh, have your own podcast. You, too. And so I'm going to just sit back and learn about kind of your journey and just maybe let's, let's go start back to um, just when you were a little Jennifer or whenever you kind of started thinking about dietetics and how the, how you kind of started getting passionate about that profession. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. We can definitely start there. I love that for sure. Cause it actually has to do a lot with like my eating disorder story. So. Okay. It's awesome. Uh, Okay, cool. All, all so comes together, know, like, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. So do you, you, I know you always open up your show, like, you know, talking about your career as a dietitian and everything like that. Like that's a perfect place to start for me if that works for you. So yes, absolutely. Okay. So yeah, maybe take me back to, um, you know, when you started, I mean, did you start in college? You'd start in high school. Some people go even as far back as memories as childhood. So maybe when you thought, you know, food, nutrition, health was kind of something on your radar. Okay, perfect. So, okay. So let me know, do you want to, do you want to start with that? Just like me telling yeah. my story or do you want to yeah. open up any questions for the recording or anything like that? Or nope. no, I just kind of okay. start with, with that part at the beginning. So, okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we can lead right into kind of taking us, telling, telling the beginning stories of Jennifer and how you started and then we'll end up where you're at now. Yeah. Okay. Well, so thank you, Anne, for having me on your show. I'm so excited to be here. Um, I love that you inspire other registered dietitians because I try to do the same. So I think it's so awesome that we do the same things in different ways. Um, But yeah, so I wanted to be a dietitian back in high school. And that's kind of where my journey began. I was unfortunately struggling with an eating disorder back then. Like I had some body image issues and I thought like so many people do that weight loss would help me solve everything and make my life better and happier and all the rainbows and butterflies that the promise of weight loss comes with, right? As we all know. Mm -hmm. Um, So I started my very first diet at age, I think I was 17, 17 or 18. 
Yeah, no, I was 17 because I turned 18 the end of my senior year in high school. So it was so funny because the diet doesn't even exist anymore. It was LA weight loss. Like how horrible oh. of a name is that? <laughs> how horrible I think of a I name kind of remember that. Yeah. Yes. Was it so, like a build? Was it like a program that you could like go to a build? It was in like a building or something, yes, right? You could yes, like go there. It was, yes, it was so horrific, like, and traumatizing looking back on it. But yes, it was like a program where you went and you got weed and they told you exactly what to eat. And basically anytime you lost weight, like things were celebrated. And anytime you gained weight, I remember the person just looking at me like, Ooh, what's going on? And so horrific thinking back on it. But basically what happened is I lost, you know, a little bit of weight and I thought, Oh my gosh, this is so great. Like I want to help other people lose weight. But lo and behold, as most bodies do, you know, when you lose weight, your body fights back with a vengeance. So it wasn't long before I had lost a little bit of weight that I started binge eating. And that was the beginning of my own eating disorder. And that took me like all the way through the end of college into my dietetic internship struggling with binge eating disorder because of that diet and because of like just the genetic makeup of my brain and my body you know genetics of eating disorders in my family and like anxiety and mental health and I was just one of the ones that had the perfect storm come together to create this eating disorder for me and you know looking back in hindsight I'm so happy that I went through it because I know that that sounds kind of weird, but I'm so happy that I went through it because everything happens for a reason. And when I got help and I recovered with not only the principles of eating disorder recovery, but also intuitive eating was a huge factor in my recovery from my eating disorder. It showed me that I want to help other people have this really great relationship with food. So that was where the my true journey of being a dietitian really began like i went through my whole journey in college studying to be a dietitian and i was in my dietetic internship but i really wasn't truly in it because i still was struggling with my own disordered eating habits and i kind of like to say it was a little bit of like a traditional like weight loss focus type of dietitian back then. Like I wanted to help people get healthy with weight loss. But then once I realized how detrimental it was to my own health and the health of the people around me and how society just promotes weight loss so much and it's so harmful, like that's when I decided to switch gears in my career and I couldn't be happier. Did you find yourself, um, you know, as you said, you're like, I wanted to be that weight loss dietitian, help people find healthy habits through weight. Did you feel like your eating disorder got worse when you were more in practicing that? Yeah, that's actually a really good question. So I only had maybe six months of true dietitian job behind me when I got help for my eating disorder. So it was more like my thinking was really in college and my internship, which are stressful times in and of itself. So, oh my gosh, anyone that's in that right now, just please know that it does get better. Um, So I was a dietitian for about six months before I decided that I was really going to go get help for my own eating issues. So I don't think it necessarily got worse in those six months, but it was like, I was fed up with it by the time I got help. I was like, I've been going through this for five years. Like it's time for me to get better. Um, And at that point I had read intuitive eating and I remember saying to myself, Oh my gosh, I want to be an intuitive eater. Like I want to eat like this, but I just don't know how. And that's when I got myself into therapy and into treatment. So, I mean, I feel like that. So that, I mean, it has, it's been around for a while, but I feel like, 
maybe at that time that you were getting into therapy for it, was it hard to find people to help you navigate that type of eating lifestyle? Yeah. So that's a great question. So intuitive eating has been around since 1995, believe it or not. So it's been 1995, but, but I didn't find it till maybe 2007, 2008. Okay. So at that time it wasn't as popular as it is now. I feel like it's all over now, Um, but it was, it was relatively easy to find myself like an eating disorders therapist and book myself an appointment. Like I knew like that was probably the hardest thing I've ever had to do in my whole entire life was making that first appointment. But I knew that that's what I needed in order to fully recover. I think that's amazing that you recognize that so much in yourself that you were taking care of yourself to do that, to help yourself heal from those issues. Yeah. Yeah. And a part of my passion too is, and I'm kind of developing a little bit of a niche around this for myself, but I actually have had professionals in my practice that have been going through their own eating disorder recovery. And I love working with them. I love working with nutrition students, social workers, psychologists, other registered dietitians are sometimes my clients. It's so great to, to be able to say like, you are not broken. You know, like just because you have some some eating disorder or you're struggling with disordered eating or you want to be, you know, better in the sake of having a healthy relationship with food, you can still be an amazing professional just because you're struggling with something doesn't mean that you're broken. That's such a good message. I feel like, don't you feel like as dietitians, we are like super big caretakers, but we don't do a very good job of taking care of ourselves sometimes. Yes. No, it is such a struggle. It is. And self-care is one of the things that is, I mean, we could talk about that forever, but self-care is one of the things that is so important for dietitians to realize. Like we, we do try to take care of our clients so much and like in the best way we possibly can, but it starts with us. It starts with us knowing, you know, self-care is not just, you know, manicures and pedicures and lunch with friends. Like it's definitely knowing what our bodies need and what our brains need for not only like the connections in our life, but how to heal and what's best for us. And just think it's so amazing. So Definitely self-care is a good topic. Absolutely. We can, we'll save that for another podcast topic. But um, so, so tell me kind of a little bit about your treatment. How, I mean, I'm sure it's never over. It's probably something that you work on every day. But how did you kind of get to a good place with intuitive eating? You know, what did that look like then for you professionally after you you kind of did that for yourself? Yeah, no. That's a great question. So, so I have to say I am recovered now and I don't have eating disorder thoughts, behaviors, anything like that. But I think there are a lot of privileges that I, that I live with and that I totally recognize to be able to get to a place of recovery period, you know, like, and that's something that we can definitely go into too. So I was really lucky. I was in a financial place where I could receive treatment every single week. You know, I had a therapist every single week. I had health insurance that was covering a lot of it. Um, I had a job that I could, you know, leave early sometimes to go to my therapy appointments. And I had a flexibility in my schedule. You know, not everybody has that. Um, And I also too, like, like a privilege that I think a lot of dietitians have to sometimes recognize is that I did not recover to a body that is not socially acceptable. You know, like I live in, I I don't, I want to call myself skinny, but I live with thin privilege. 
So my eating disorder, you know, yes, definitely body changes can happen. And I did gain weight as I was kind of recovering, but I didn't gain weight to the point that it wasn't socially acceptable anymore. And I think that that's part of my privilege in a sense of being able to fully recover. I didn't have the traumatizing experience that sometimes people in larger bodies have living in this world that we live in, unfortunately. That makes me that you're right. Like, that's just, yeah, it's, it's a different, it's different for everybody, but I'm glad that you had such a good positive experience that you could be in recovery. So then you can help all of everyone else and everyone else that's going through it or who, whether they're professionals or whether they're not professionals, anybody that needs that assistance. Yeah, yeah. No, and I and I was really lucky in the sense that I also had a really great support system around me. So I was able to talk about my eating disorder recovery with my my husband now, but my boyfriend at the time, <laughs> you know, oh, when I was good. going through this and my family. Yeah, no, and my family and friends and everyone was really supportive and no one was shaming or anything like that, which was really important too. And not a lot of people have that as well. So I so I had the perfect storm of developing this eating disorder all the way back when I was, you know, 20 years old in my 20s. And then I did have almost a perfect storm getting the help that I needed that helped me to really recover, which was great. So it wasn't it wasn't a very long time in treatment by any means. Some people spend, you know, decades in treatment. But for me, I was done in about two years and I my eating disorder was gone. I still struggle with anxiety and that's something that I'm very, very open about. Um, and I still, you know, have a therapist for different reasons, not the eating disorder anymore, but because of just, you know, everything that's going on in my life and dealing mm-hmm. with my own anxiety and therapy is so helpful for that. Um, but I was really, really lucky to fully recover from my eating disorder, which is great. So, so where did, awesome. where did that, what was kind of your next steps then professionally based on all your personal changes? So I, my first job was actually in a diabetes treatment center, which was awesome. If I, if I could go back and make a lot of money in diabetes, I totally would. Cause I really, really, really <laughs> loved it, but, but it's not, it's, it's just not something that is like feasible for me at this point in my life right now. But I loved working with people with type one diabetes and I loved insulin pumps and, um, just all the calculations and all the different things. I especially really liked type one diabetes, but I, but I just love diabetes in general, but basically that was my first job. And then once I recovered, I still was at the diabetes center. I was there for three years, but I said to myself, like, I don't know if I really love this as much as I used to, because I think I might want to help people with eating disorders, but I wasn't a hundred percent sure if, it was the right path for me being so like newly recovered in a sense. And at that point, like still in recovery, not a hundred percent recovered, but mm-hmm. it was so great for me just to kind of say like, maybe I don't want to do diabetes for the rest of my career. You know, part of my like old way of thinking was very black and white. Like, oh, there's an answer to everything or it's, it's this way or no way at all. And really what recovery taught me, you know, so much taught me so much, but resilience and flexibility were probably the two biggest things that I learned from my own recovery. So I said, you know, like, I'm going to be a little bit more flexible. I'm going to search for different jobs. I'm going to see, you know, what comes out of it. Cause I eventually might want to do a private practice. So I left the diabetes center this was 2010 and I found another job, um, which was great at a diabetes clinic, like up 
you know, a little bit more North cause I was moving out of the city into a house with my boyfriend, now husband at the time. Um, and I found a job in Manhattanville college, which was in the student health center. And I worked with all the therapists there with all the students that were struggling with various health issues. And at a college, a ton of eating disorders were present. So it was like my first experience seeing people that were struggling with disordered eating and eating disorders. And I was like, so hooked. Like I was newly recovering at the time. So I definitely wanted to make sure that I was, you know, practicing in a really ethical way and that I was okay. And that I wasn't triggered. And I was really, really helpful with other students. And it luckily worked out really, really well. And I was there for about two years. And at the time I decided that I really wanted to open up my private practice. And that's your, and that's awesome because I mean, you're a young dietitian too, to even like be like, yep, I'm ready. Let's do this. Cause that's scary for a lot of people. So how did you, well, again, I had a ton of privilege (laughs) in the sense where I had that job. So I opened up my private practice on the side and a lot of people have to do that, which is totally okay. Like I didn't jump in head first. And if you can, that's amazing. And that's awesome. But I opened up on the side and I said, okay, I'm going to have jobs like three days out of the week and I'm going to have private practice one or two days. And that's how I started. And of course I didn't even fill up those one or two days right away because you can't, it's, you have to get your name out there. You have to build your community and you have to really do a great job with the clients that you have to grow your private practice. So I did that step-by-step. So eventually I left one of my jobs. Eventually I left the other job and I was, I was full-time private practice for about three, maybe in three years, maybe two and a half years, it took me. So it wasn't anything that happened overnight. Nothing overnight. I like, and I thank you for sharing that because I think, I don't know, you know, you're on social media too. And I feel like a lot of dietitians get that misconception that you just jump into private practice and it's all rainbows and unicorns and everything's going fantastically well. But you do probably have to have that realistic mindset that it's going to take a little time to build it up. Oh my gosh. Yes. I mean, the, the message that I see on social media that sometimes really annoys me is like, Oh, if you just work harder and hustle and hustle and hustle and hustle, you'll get all the clients like as fast as you want to work. And it's not necessarily all in your control. I think that, yes, you can definitely work hard and hard working is amazing and ambition is great, but it's not all necessarily going to come to you as fast as you want it to because a business takes time to grow and nourishing relationships are the thing that builds your business and you can't go out and make new best friends overnight. Yeah, you know, that's very so. true. <laughs> yeah. And if you can... It's- please send us a message and let us know how that works out. <laughs> yes. <laughs> For sure. So your private practice is the current private practice that you have, correct? Yes. Well, yes. So yeah. my private practice, I started officially back in 2011, which was like when my doors officially opened. And now I have two associate dietitians working for me, which is awesome. So it's now a group private practice. We've grown, which is great. Um, And yeah, no, I really love it. I see clients. So fast forward, you know, lots of ups and downs and two children in that time period. But now I see clients two days a week, 
like two half days during the week. I only have maybe eight people or so that kind of come and go in my private practice because my associates are taking over the bulk of my private practice. So I could do some other things online, which has been really fun. And that's the program that I run now for dietitians that are interested in intuitive eating and weight inclusive private practice. Um, but yeah, no, my business has grown from from just counseling to all these other things very organically, very naturally. Like I kind of always had it in my head that I wanted to do programs for other dietitians, but I just needed the experience and I needed, you know, all the practice and, and everything that comes along with building a private practice. I needed to do that before I jumped into helping other dietitians. So in your private practice, are you physically seeing clients face to face in that private practice or your associates are? Yes. Yes. So we are all local. I, so that's another thing. Virtual private practice is totally trending right now. And I see it Mm -hmm. all over the place. And I've done some virtual work before, especially if we have people that start with us locally and then they either move or they go off to college, but I don't like it as much. I think it's just a personal preference of mine. So hats off to everybody if they do virtual work, because I think that's awesome. But I just really like physically being in a room with somebody. And I, I mean, maybe it's old school, but I love just (laughs) the face to face, like in person, private practice with an office space. Um, That is my jam. So that's what my practice is. Yes, we do see some people virtually if they've started out with us. And sometimes too, we have people that come from... So we're right outside of New York City. Sometimes we have people that come from like all over the state of New York or even New Jersey to see us. And then we'll you know see people one session and then they might do like a couple of virtual sessions for the month. And then like they'll come back like once a month, meet face to face. So, but I, I really like the physical location of a private practice, but that's just me. Everyone's yeah, different. And I, yeah, absolutely. And then do you, um, are you billing with insurance? Are you strictly cash only? How do you deal with the financial aspect for your clients? Yeah. So we, so we are out of network with insurance companies. So all three of us are registered dietitians with NPI numbers and out of network benefits, which is great. Um, but we don't necessarily process insurance directly only because, and this is like really unfortunate for the eating disorders world, but a lot of times eating disorders are not covered by insurance, like not mm-hmm. mandated by law to pay. For, ins- for benefits, which really stinks. But because of that, a lot of insurance companies don't pay. So it's either, you know, settle for like, like no payment as a provider just to get on some plans for some people to be able to, you know, diagnose and sure. get reimbursement for other things. Like you almost have to take your chances that like your diabetes people might have eating disorders and things like that. So we just don't accept insurance right now. And that's, and I, you know, I think that there is a place for that, but I, I know like the eating disorder arena that it's so sad that that's not covered. I feel like I know of all things it's like that definitely should be covered by a dietitian, but it's a testament to, you know, that um, actual diagnosis that there is a need and you are still getting plenty of clients to serve with a cash only kind of service. Yeah. What and I and I don't necessarily think you need to specialize in eating disorders to have a cash only private practice. I just think you need to specialize. I think that's my biggest piece of advice for dietitians and it's almost like Yes, everyone like being a dietitian is a specialty in and of itself, but there are so many dietitians out there. You almost have to make sure that you know 
what you stand for, what your mission is and what your specialty is. Because if you can target your perfect client in everything that you do marketing wise and, you know, be able to stand up for that mission, you're going to get the people that are really perfect for you. If you try to just generalize and see everybody just because they eat food and Trust me, I've totally been there. I think my first mission statement was I want to help everyone that eats food, you know? It's like it's just not probably not gonna work. Yeah, sure. Said with lots and of love. I and I I'm glad you shared that perspective because I've heard it the other way too. Like, oh, you shouldn't you shouldn't specialize. You should be able to do everything for everybody. And you're yeah. kind of right though. Like there needs to be some way to separate yourself apart from all the other individuals that are doing similar things to you. Yeah. And I actually kind of agree with that too, like in the sense of, okay, you're a dietitian, so you should be able to see everybody because yes, you are a dietitian, but is that really going to work? You know? So like if someone with kidney disease or diabetes walks into my office with an eating disorder, like, okay, I could see them because I am a dietitian, but is that going to be a perfect person for my practice? You know, and that's just an individual choice for, for everybody to make. Yeah, because there could be other comorbidities that you might have to be, you know, well-versed on to deal with both things, to be mindful of both situations. Yeah, very true. 100%. So tell me about, so your private practice that's thriving and it's doing, it sounds like it's doing amazingly well and you found some awesome coworkers to work to do to work with and to do a lot of your workload. So tell me about more your other things that you're doing outside of your private practice that it seems like you're very passionate about and which has kind of been like your podcast too, but share with me more about how that evolved. Yeah. So this is a a really great story and a really funny story when it comes down to it, but pursuing private practice happened because I, so I was, I was pregnant at the time with my first baby Connor and he was born back in 2014. And at that point I had hired somebody for paternity leave for my private practice And I came back and I said, Oh my gosh, I want to work more, which is so weird to say that I was coming back from maternity leave. And I was just, I think I was feeling like, not like myself, like postpartum. Maybe I just had some crazy, you know, postpartum stuff going on in my head, but I came back to a practice that was maybe only like maybe five, eight, 10 people at the time. Like I had kind of gone from almost full time when I left and had Connor and I came back and I just, there wasn't a whole lot of people left. So I said, you know what? I want to work a little bit more. Like I'm going to take advantage of this in the sense that I have like four days of babysitting, like Connor's set up in daycare. You know, I only have maybe a day and a half worth of clients that I'm seeing right now. Like what am I going to do with this time? I don't want to waste it because I have, you know, my whole daycare set up. And that wasn't changing anytime soon. So I said, I'm going to start a project, like a creative project. And that was actually (laughs) pursuing private practice, which is so funny to think that it started out as just a little project. So what happened was I decided to do a workshop for local dietitians in the area on how to start a private practice. Because I was like, you know, I really like the business stuff. I've grown my private practice from the ground up. I am going to offer this to other people because so many people started to ask me how I grew my business. Like, what did I do? What were the secrets? So I said, I'm going to do a workshop. So the workshop was literally a two-hour workshop. Two people came (laughs) 
which is so fun. But I was so excited. It was amazing. Yeah. I still remember. I still, they, they are out there doing amazing things. They know who they are that came to my workshop, which is so great. Um, but basically the workshop turned into a book and the book kind of took on a life of its own because I put it out on Amazon and like a lot of people bought it. And I said, Oh my gosh, this is so great. Like how cool is it to support dietitians who want to start a private practice? Like, obviously this is a need. So what happened was people started contacting me like, Oh, can I get, you know, a session with you to talk about private practice and to talk about marketing and things like that. So I said, Oh my gosh, I'm going to do a course and pursuing private practice went from a workshop to books to a course. And now it's actually a program. So it's hosted on teachable. So there's lots of different lessons when it comes to business and not only like business education and knowledge, because dietitians, first of all, have no idea how to run a business and, We really do need to be sustainable with business practice because that's how we are going to get money in order to do the things that we really want to do and make an impact in the world for other people. So there's tons of business education in the program. And then dietitians started asking me about intuitive eating and eating disorder recovery skills. So I created a whole section on nutrition counseling skills And then people wanted more accountability. So then I created a Facebook group and monthly group calls. So now all of that is in the Pursuing Private Practice program. And I really, you know, have all the dietitians in my community to thank for that because I had no idea that that's what they needed. And they told me that's what they needed. And that's how the program grew. Like, so I could serve the people that really wanted to learn from me, which has been so amazing to figure out how to help those people the best that I possibly can. That is so great because you're right. Dietitians do not have any business knowledge at all. Did you feel like you had enough to, to kind of provide that? I mean, like, how did you get that business aspect for yourself when it came to your own private practice? And how did you incorporate that into your course? Yeah, no, that's a great question. So as I was building my own private practice, I knew nothing about business and I made so many mistakes. I actually have a guide um, on my website for people to download if they're interested. It's called the 10 Mistakes Dietitians Make. And I literally made every single one of those mistakes. I had 20 on a piece of paper (laughs) of all the mistakes that I made. And I just took the top 10. Um, But basically, I had to do a ton of research myself. So I hired some people to help me. I read all the books. I had all the Google tabs open and I just overwhelmed myself so much when I was building my own business that I said, there's, there has to be a resource out here for people that's Mm -hmm. like easy to the point, realistic, you know, that's not 400 pages long. And there really wasn't anything back in 2010 when I was kind of researching. So that's what I decided to create. That's great. That's definitely a space that I know many of us need and want because like you said earlier, like having a private practice or having that ability to help people, that's what's going to change our profession and it's going to change how we're just helping the whole health of our communities by doing that. And But you still have to have that business savvy. Like that's such a huge part of it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, and so it's so... It's so, um, I don't even know what the right adjective is. It's just like crazy to think about how dietitians go through so much school. We know so much education. Like we are so smart. And if we're able to figure out, like for me, it was nutrition, um, 338, I think it's like the metabolism class. Like if we're able to get a C in metabolism class in college, 
we can figure out how to run a business, but everyone <laughs> sells themselves short. They're like, Oh, like I can't do it. Like I, I almost guarantee you that if you're a dietitian, you probably had like a 3.5 GPA, mm-hmm. but you're scared to open up like a business bank account. Cause you don't know how to do it. And I'm totally. like, listen, <laughs> you know how to do this. Like if you're a dietitian, you can do this because you are a dietitian. You are amazing. Like you have skills you have the ability to be able to figure out problems that are really hard to figure out, you know, you can figure out how to run a business. So it's part of my mission to help dietitians like with the business stuff, because I know that we're capable of doing it. It's just with the right support, you can really reach your goals, which is awesome. So maybe walk me through. I think a lot of people are kind of, I think the whole class thing, online classes and things like that are a great way to learn since none of us probably want to go back to school ever again. Um, So I love that you have that component to your pursuing private practice. But again, I think that's hard to like wrap your head around. How do you put a class together? So how did you start brainstorming? You know, you kind of kind of come up with a syllabus and you kind of had to come up like you were a professor and how are you going to teach this class to people? So if you were giving advice to somebody that's thinking about doing that, how does someone start that process? Yes. Oh my, I love this question. Okay. So you, if you are a professor or you are like the leader or the teacher or whatever you want to call yourself, the educator of something, you almost can't look at your curriculum because you know too much. You have to ask your people and your community what they need. So pursuing private practice was born completely from my audience. And my audience is not big. Like I don't have a hundred thousand Instagram followers. I don't even have ten thousand Instagram followers for the swipe up thing. <laughs> you know, I, <laughs> yeah. I really my email list is small, but what I did is I really tried to get to know every single person that comes my way, like I really try to nurture those relationships because every person that signs up for my stuff is probably a dietitian that's interested in business. So I took my knowledge of marketing and just what I thought dietitians needed, but I asked everybody that came through. Like when I was building my course back in 2017... I was talking to people all the time, like, okay, I'm building a course. What do you need? Like, what do you need in this program? What will be helpful for you? And what I started to do was just outline all of my ideas on a piece of paper. I literally that by the time that piece of paper had been through all it was been through, it had like, it was folded <laughs> in different places and it was like falling apart. So I turned it into a Microsoft Word document, but I basically had all these ideas on a piece of paper, like what people needed from a course. And I got so much feedback. So when the outline was finally done, I sent it out to some people that were interested. I got, you know, ideas from them and I got some feedback from them. And then from there, it's only grown. So it started out as only 10 modules in the program. And now it's like 10 modules for pursuing private practice, like workbook resources, bonus lessons, just all these different things because I kept on putting things in there based on what other people were telling me that they needed. So use your community as like the number one tip for building a course. That's a good tip because I think that that's the best starting place because you could put something out and it's not going to matter if you don't know what your community wants. Yeah. Yeah. And a lot of times we're guilty of making like we're guilty of almost like hibernating and making the thing. (laughs) And then like we'll say, oh, well, we'll get out there to sell it. Like we'll be visible to sell it. But I think you have to be visible like so much more so as you're making the thing 
to get your people invested in what you're doing. Oh, that's a good, that's a really good tip too. Like you're right. Like some people are like, Oh, coming in like six months, I'll see you soon. And I'm going to have something awesome to share with you like that teaser. And then they disappear. Yeah. Yeah. So, so if you're coming out with your thing in six months, it's almost like every single month. And I would argue maybe every other week, you know, you're asking your people what they need. You're getting feedback from them. Like you're giving them a whole lot of either like training permission, you know, the ability to be who they are, just giving them that permission and then telling them, that because they are this person, like you have something for them and they're really just invested in what you're in what you're doing because you're going to be so helpful with whatever you're selling, you know, because the, whatever you're selling is obviously a solution to a problem, which is awesome. Absolutely. So obviously your, your, your class is going really, really well for you. Like you're getting lots of good interest and you're getting a lot of people utilizing your services. Yes, yes, we've had, I think we're at 85 people now that have joined Pursuit Private Practice, which is awesome. I know I love it. And, you know, it's, it's been so great to see, like my favorite part about the whole thing is to see dietitians come in, in basically like an overwhelmed place. Like, I don't know what to do. I'm growing this business. I have two clients and I want 10 clients. And then to have them go through the program and trust me, it takes a while. Like I've been doing this for two and a half years. So it's not like dietitians come in and overnight they're a huge success, but to have them come in and then, you know, months after they join the program, like they're at five to 10 clients, like they're marketing, like they're building relationships or getting people coming back. Like it's so awesome to see because being in charge of the program, of course you feel so proud, but you're also just so excited for the people that are in your program because they're really building a private practice that does make such an impact, which is just so great. How do you juggle all of it? Because I'm assuming that you have some personal component, like you said, the Facebook group that you have. How do you manage all of that and give everyone the attention that they they need from you? Yeah. So the group program is pursuing private practice is really a group program, which is awesome. And as it's grown, there's more people that are invested in everyone's success that comes in. So I have a great group of dietitians that help me answer a lot of the Facebook post requests and, you know, help with advice and feedback and all that stuff, which is so awesome to see. Um, but basically I am in charge of making sure that everyone is happy, which is a great responsibility, which is so amazing. Um, but it's not, it's not so bad. Like my, my average amount of time spent on pursuing private practice is typically like a day and a half a week. And then my private practice is about a day and a half or two days a week. And then like all the other admin stuff with the podcast and like, just, you know, being a business owner, like it's not just the stage time. If you want to call it that, like, it's not just being on, there's a whole bunch of stuff behind the scenes too. So that kind of rounds out my week. You are, and you have kiddos and you're a wife. You are a busy woman. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Well, it helps. It it really helps to have so much support. And this is like, again, where privilege comes into the sense of, you know, I'm at a point where I do have the ability to send my kids to daycare, which is awesome. You know, they go like my one son is in kindergarten. And you would think that that's five days a week, but it's more like three or four, depending on holidays and sickness and things like that. So he goes to school, (laughs) like four, we'll call it four days a week. Um, And then my little guy is in daycare three days a week, sometimes four days a week. So I have a ton of help 
with that. And then I also have a ton of help in my business too. Like I have people that I've hired to help me. So I have a a lot of support. And I don't think that you need that much support if you're not going to be a huge company or even two companies. But it's so helpful to have people that are working really hard for your business, like on behalf of you, which is a great thing to be at when you are a business owner and you've, you know, gotten to that level. Like don't feel bad if you're not at that level yet because it's you know, it's a lot. It's a different, it's a different world sometimes, but it's also really great to be here. So tell me about the podcast. How did the podcast kind of develop and how did you, what kind of work did you put in to launch that for your, and it's pursuing private practice is more your focus in that podcast too, but also yes. including your intuitive eating kind of um, background. So how did that come to light? And what made you want to start doing that yourself? Yeah. So I've wanted to do a podcast for, oh my gosh, probably like two years now, which is kind of embarrassing to say, like the idea that I got was two years ago. And the, it actually came from the beta conference in 2017. So We were at the beta conference in 2017 and Rebecca Scritchfield and Aaron Flores. I don't know if you know those died. Well, I think Rebecca has been on your podcast, right? I think she hasn't, but I do know her. Oh, she hasn't. You do know Mm -hmm. her. Um, So they were at the beta conference and they were part of a panel. And it was basically like, how did you find health at every size? Like, how did you find intuitive eating? And both of Rebecca and Aaron's stories included, you know, working somewhere in like the weight loss space and discovering that weight loss didn't work. And then having this epiphany moment of health at every size, intuitive eating is really like the ethical way to practice as a registered dietitian. And I just sat back and I said, oh my gosh, it's my story. And then I was like looking around at all the dietitians that were in this conference room. And I said, oh my gosh, like, I know that's their story. I know that that's their story. I know that that's their story. And it was just like, oh my gosh, we all have a similar story. And not to say that it's everybody's story, but a lot of dietitians that practice from a health at every size perspective did not start there and started in the weight loss field and started with like weight loss and diets and things like that. And we all kind of had this epiphany moment of, wow, it doesn't work. And there has to be a better way to help treat our clients. So I got the idea from that conference. And I said, I wonder if I just like collected stories of people in the private practice space to show other dietitians that it's totally okay for you to change gears when something isn't working. So that was kind of the premise behind pursuing private practice. I really wanted to make it very story-based. But as I was working on the podcast and thinking about it more and more, I said, you know what? I really want to also inspire people that they can run their own business as well. And almost everybody that comes on the the show has a story too of, well, running a business is very hard and it's a journey full of ups and downs, just like, you know, it always is when we talk about business. So I wanted to inspire people that they can do it too. Like I wanted to show stories of people in business and that it can be successful and it can be really rewarding, even if it is full of ups and downs. And that, and that's a lot of people don't share that stuff. I think that's oh so gosh, good because where's the icky stuff? Yeah. Cause you know, there's icky stuff somewhere, but people just don't talk about it. And that's, I think that's great that you're putting that realistic and putting those personal stories out there, regardless if they're pretty or not, that that's what happens. Oh yeah. No people. I mean, I feel like there's a lot of people out there. 
that just talk about like, oh, I just want to be on a beach and someone give me passive yes. money. <laughs> and I just, I just want to, you know, sell a million dollars worth of stuff and not talk to anybody when I do it. And I just feel right. like I, I want to show people that running a business is like you, like all within a week, you can jump up and down. You can cry. You can go get the advice from one of your friends and decide to switch gears <laughs> and something else. You know, like it's all, all the emotions are there. And when we feel our feelings, just like we ask all of our clients to do, when we feel our feelings and we take care of ourselves and know that no matter what comes our way, it's worth it. Like that's, really what I want to show people. I love it, girl. That's yeah. so good. That's why it's so when when it's like when I listen to your podcast, everything when I it just kind of feels like I'm just sitting there having a conversation with you like we are now. I mean, it's very much like you're very relatable. You're very down to earth. You don't hold back. And that's what I think is great about your podcast. Oh, thank you so much. Well, that that is its whole whole purpose. So I'm so happy that you feel like that. And I'm a huge fan of your show too. I think any, anytime dietitians can inspire other dietitians to really do what they want to do in their career is just so cool to see. It is. It is. And it's like this awesome cheerleading team that we're kind of creating, I think, as a network of dietitians that are encouraging others to just feel like whatever they're going through is normal. Like you were talking about all those different emotions, all those things that you feel. You could have all of those in one day. You could have all those in two hours. (laughs) That is is so true. (laughs) It can happen. I know. Well, is there what else? Is there anything else that you kind of want to share about just where you're going with your, you know, with the pursuing private practice entity of your business and what maybe dietitians can look forward to that you're doing? For our community. Yeah. Well, so actually, one thing that I don't think I shared, Pursuing Private Practice started out as just basic business education. And in March 2019, it morphed into the intuitive eating component too. I don't know if I actually explained okay. that before. No, so that, that no. was an example of me like, yeah, that was an example of me like switching gears a little bit because what happened was the dietitians that were in my program wanted to start talking about like nutrition counseling, keeping clients coming back like questions in intuitive eating and health at every size and that was my space so i was so happy to talk about that and then what like what kind of typically happened from there as we started to have some some of those conversations i kind of said like yeah i kind of only think i should have dietitians that are in that space or interested in that space come into pursuing private practice so that was an example of me like switching gears a little bit to incorporate the intuitive eating component, making sure that diet, like, so basically pursuing private practice, it sounds awesome. But if you are like a weight loss dietitian doing keto, you know, I'm not going to say anything yeah. bad about that, but like, you're not in the right field for me. You know what I mean? Like you're not like gotcha. this program is not for you because we're not going to be talking about that stuff. We're going to be sure. talking about how our clients have been harmed from that. So that's just kind of like, not. I don't want anyone to come into the program and feel bad about the way that they're practicing dietetics. So there's other business coaches out there for other people, which is fine. But if you're interested in intuitive eating and you don't have to be like a hundred percent, like on board with it, but you just have to be interested in learning more about it and interested in coming from a weight inclusive approach. Like that's the perfect person for 
pursuing private practice. So because that is only a year old, that's what I'm going to focus on this year, like focusing on keeping on talking about health at every size, intuitive eating, the way that we practice dietetics, because that is a little bit on the newer side for my business, which Mm -hmm. is great. I love it though. I've had more people join the program over the past year than ever before. Because I think there's so many dietitians that are interested in intuitive eating and having a business program specific for that is really great. That's awesome. That's why you got to get all this stuff wrapped up before the end of the year so you can start heading fast forward into 2020, right? Yes. Yes. (laughs) I'm excited for 2020. First of all, how weird is it that it's 2020? It's like, oh my gosh, it's fine. I know. know, I can't believe it. I know. I know. It's like when you talk about like how intuitive eating was around in 1995, you're like, wow. How many years ago? Exactly. <laughs> I went to co- that's when I went to college for crying out loud. I know. So, holy moly. No, it was so funny. <laughs> Elise Ratz was on my podcast. Elise Resch is the co-author of Intuitive Eating. And she said it was so interesting for her to think about how when she was at Fancy at the Intuitive Eating Talk, and she said it was so interesting for her to think about how that some of the dietitians that were in the audience, you know, because sometimes people come when they're a brand new dietitian at 22, 23 years old. She said it was so weird for her to think about how some of them weren't even born when intuitive eating yes. came out. Yeah. Oh my goodness. That would be weird to think about that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like you didn't even know you weren't even a twinkle in your dad's eye when this was created. I know. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm excited. I'm excited to keep, um, I think everyone who's listening, if you don't listen to Jennifer's podcast, it's fantastic. Um, and you can just tell by your energy and your passion that this is totally your thing and you're, you just radiate being an expert in it. And I know that I'm going to tap into you if I ever need any help in that arena with my own clients or my own self. So just thank you for all that you're doing. Oh, thank you. And it's a pleasure to be on your show. I'm so thankful for all the work that you're doing too. So I love when we inspire other dietitians. Yes. I always say I'm going to, I want to have like a dietitian cheerleader retreat where all of us dietitians can get together and meet each other and um, just have a little rah-rah event. I think that would be fun. You should do it. You should, you should do a dietitian mastermind retreat. You would be the perfect person to do that. You never know. (laughs) Well, I always have to end my podcast with my five ending questions. So I hope you're up for the challenge. Yes. I know what they are, so I'm excited for them. (laughs) (laughs) Good. I like to give them ahead of time just so you don't be like, what? That's a weird question. Well, Jennifer, why don't you share with me some foods that you enjoy? Oh my gosh. Ice cream is my number one favorite food. I love it so much. I have it in the wintertime too. It's not obviously as good in the winter, but... It is no. so good. Like, and what I do in the winter, so I don't know if, if anyone can totally steal this, is in the summertime, like you usually get out your bowl of ice cream and, you know, in a minute or two, if you can wait that long to eat it, it's like a little bit melted. And that's my favorite way to eat it. But in the wintertime, like you get out your bowl of ice cream and like it takes forever to melt. So I put it in the microwave <laughs> for 20 seconds and 20 seconds is perfect for my scoop of my scoops of ice cream, which is amazing. And then it's a little bit melted and it's amazing. That's my favorite food. <laughs> That's a good tip. Do you have a favorite flavor or do you just are I, all kinds of ice cream? I like all kinds of ice cream. So right now my favorite flavor is pumpkin. I have the best pumpkin ice cream oh. in my freezer. It is so good. So it, that, that's my favorite flavor for right now. It will change. <laughs> Seasonal. She's a seasonal, seasonal kind of ice cream kind of gal. Yeah. 
What kind of beverages do you enjoy? Okay. So I, so not to say it's like coffee and wine, but it's totally coffee and wine. It's like morning (laughs) coffee and evening. Um, But I've been really into coffee lately in the sense of I've, so I'm probably spending way too much money because it's like $5 and 50 cents at Starbucks, but I've been getting chai tea lattes for my coffee and I love chai tea lattes. I think it's perfect in the winter. It's this great combo of just like tasting so good and just being so warm because it's so cold outside that I absolutely have been loving it. So usually I'm a plain coffee drinker, but sometimes I go a little fancy and it's been super fun. I am totally a chai latte person as well. It is. I don't know what it is. The cinnamon, the clove. It's just all of it. It's just delicious. I I love it too. Good choice. (laughs) (laughs) What um, scents scents or smells do you enjoy? Okay. So we have had a fake Christmas tree in my family since I was 10 years old. But being 10, (laughs) I still remember the real Christmas tree and like the real Christmas tree smell. But but long story short, my sister ended up being allergic to Christmas trees when I was 10. So we had to get a fake one in my family. So, and it was so funny because my husband and I got one real tree because of the scent and we really wanted the scent in our house. And it was so horrible with all the pine needles all over our house. This was like five years ago. We decided to get a fake one, but I said, I can't have a fake Christmas tree without the Christmas tree smell. So at Bed Bath & Beyond, they probably sell these at different places, but at Bed Bath & Beyond, you can buy like the sticks of evergreen and what you do is you oh. put them I know this is it's so weird but it's so good you put the sticks of evergreen like in your Christmas tree and you have to replace them every four or five days or so but it's almost like a really strong candle in your Christmas tree so I've been doing it for the past couple of years and it's awesome you get all the benefits of the fake tree but you get the smell which is great. None of that's. I didn't even know that existed. Okay. <laughs> I do like the smell too, but I don't like the pine needles and all the mess. So. I know. But Interesting. Yeah, so you are just a wealth of knowledge. <laughs> I know. I like Averages, it. evergreen and business. I'm right here. <laughs> business. Yep. You just start adding it to your resume. We got it. And ice cream. Yes, You're ice like cream. a pro in all of it. um what kind of music do you like to listen to do you have any favorites yeah I mean I I like music but I'm not I mean I have to say like I'm not like the biggest music fan I don't have like playlists and stuff like that like I'll put on the radio sometimes or XM radio Um, but if I had to pick some sort of like theme I would say country I do like country music a lot like I like Jason Aldean's new album a lot so like I like I like music, but if you, if you catch me listening to something, it's probably a podcast, to be honest with you. I don't like, is it? Yeah. Ever not. I don't, I don't listen to me like in the car ride. If I, well, not with my kids, but like with the car ride, I'll listen to podcasts and I'll listen to that when I go work out. Like I'm definitely more of a podcast person than music person. I that's interesting. Cause like when I drive too, I love listening to podcasts, but when I exercise, I like music so but driving is like podcast i feel like i'm in school when i'm in my car i'm like okay i'm gonna make the most of my time and i'm gonna learn something today i love it (laughs) i'm driving (laughs) and jennifer what brings you joy in life okay i love this question and i know this is so stereotypical because everyone says this but my family 
Like I love my family so much. Like my kids are at such great ages right now. I just love them so much because they're two and five and they're just at really, really, really good ages. Like I feel like I'm out of the baby phase, which is hard and I'm not in like the hard teenager stuff yet. So I just feel like they're in good (laughs) ages. So they're bringing me so much joy. Um, But my my business family too, like for me, family is of course, like the family that you're given and your friends that you make, but it's also like the relationships and business that you choose to have too. So family overround is family over all around is like the biggest thing that brings me joy. I, I do have to ask. So like if you would have a real Christmas tree, would your sister ne- never come visit you? Because <laughs> she's still allergic. I know. <laughs> Since you're talking about family. <laughs> so, my, so that is a really good question. So it was so funny. So every year, so she was four, I think, when we figured this out, she would get like really bad sickness, like bronchitis, like stuffy and just like feeling so bad when she was a baby. One, two, three. I I remember this being, you know, 10 years old and my doctor figured out that it was the Christmas tree because she would get sick every single Christmas. So she could probably say one night with a real tree, but I don't know if she could say two or three. But I know <laughs> I feel so bad for her. She's she oh, got goodness. everything like out of all the medical stuff. She just got the allergies and I feel she so bad. Oh, <laughs> poor thing. <laughs> well, I, this is a fantastic conversation. Thank you so much for st- spending time with me today. And I look forward to continuing to follow your journey and all the great things that you're doing. Oh, thank you, Anne, so much. It was a pleasure to be on. So I thank you so much. I truly believe Jennifer is providing such a great service to RDs in this space. Being a dietitian myself, who is not an expert in business or intuitive eating, I now have a reliable resource to go to when I need it. If you are a dietitian who's looking to start a private practice and would like to focus on intuitive eating, please go over to the show notes and the links to Jennifer's website and masterclass. I also had the opportunity to do a podcast swap with Jennifer and was graciously on her podcast. You can find our conversation on her pursuing private podcast in the show notes as well. My website, AnnaElizabethArty.com is where you can read my latest Embrace the Hell Yeah blog post, as well as all my previous podcasts, show notes, and links to things we talked about during all my conversations with these great nutrition experts. My book is available for purchase on my website, and I hope we can connect more on social media by finding me on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and Pinterest at AnnaElizabethRD. Remember to be great always, find the joy in each day, and to start a conversation that truly matters.